freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you a minute. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Mike Lefko and Brock Heward with you this morning. Uh, Brock's still reeling, though. He has more sources telling him he is decidedly unhip. You know what I realized? The evidence is piling up. No, you know what I realized in those five minutes right there during break? You know what I realized, man? As I was talking about coaching and my dad and my brothers, like, I get on a football field and I coach, I'm him. You know what I'm saying? I'm him. Like, it is just. Oh, no. And, and you know, the Tyler Hambergs and the Chris Sullivans, they know, the Don O'Neills, Kathy Cangianos. They, they know this, you know, unfortunately, Lefko, the camp that I used to do every summer and COVID got in the way of this and maybe we'll have to bring it back. We're going to bring it back next year and you're going to be out there coaching with me, right? More, Maura was out there. She's coached with me, right? Mm-hmm. Maura, when we coach on that football field, we put on that camp. I'm him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, do you have a list of these you're trying to get through today? No, he's pretty on that ch- list. Rock just checked well, maybe. it out. <laughs> <laughs> a hundo P, I got a list. You know what I'm saying? A hundo P. Your kids are like, you're not cool, Dad. You're not going to say these words. And uh-huh. now you're trying to show them. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm him on a football field coaching, all right? That's all I'm saying. All right. And all I'm saying is right now we're going to get to our most intriguing list. I'll take care of this, a hundo P. We're going to get to our most intriguing list, and we got a good one today. Number 17. Yeah, you set it up for us. It is Zach Charbonnet, number 17 on our list of most intriguing Seahawks. Now, I would be significantly more intrigued, Brock, if he has been practicing, if he had been on the field, if we had seen something. I'm more concerned than intrigued right now because you know, he hasn't been practicing. And Pete Carroll said this uh, on Sunday about, well, both Ken Walker and Zach Charbonnet. Uh, he's got a little groin thing that he's, uh, that uh, kind of bothered him getting into camp here, so uh, we're just keeping him quiet for a bit. Zach is uh, he, he's got a little a little shoulder thing that we're we're checking out right now. Take some time to figure it out. Uh, take some time. Mm. So that that's a little concerning. I mean, the potential for what he could be this season absolutely intriguing. If he could help complement Ken Walker, if he can be that one-two punch, but when you hear that, take mm-hmm. some time to figure it out. Now I'm more concerned than intrigued. No, that's I think that's more than fair. You are concerned. And when Pete goes into hockey coach mode, you get a little bit more concerned because he actually, for coaches in the league, is pretty darn transparent when it comes over the years to injuries. He's going to tell you what is going on. He doesn't, Pete's one, and when I was in the commercial real estate business, you learned quickly. There are those that hold their cards and show you nothing, and then there are those that put them on the table and say, let's make a deal. Pete is much more of the latter in that conversation. So when he gets a little bit that way, it's because stuff's going on. So he went on the practice field the other day, which tells me, again, this is not like a, from a source inside. This is speculation, but that tells me he went. we were sent somewhere, whether that was James Andrews in Birmingham or whoever their specialist is, to look at what's going on in his shoulder. And you're right. That's not intriguing. That's concerning. Because he was drafted so that the brand didn't change. That when Ken Walker, you know, is inevitably going to miss time as every running back in this league does from the beatings that they take, that means when the next guy comes in, man, we can't we can't shift our brand. We've got to be fast. We've got to be home run hitting. We've got to be terribly violent. And he's all of those things. That and he is, loves ball, yeah. man. And he absolutely loves ball yeah that is what Pete Carroll said uh, earlier about Charbonnet and how they want the two to kind of be uh, interchangeable really Zach is, is legitimately that you know, he's going to be running or Ken and uh, it's going to take 
most guys can get the workload and help some DJ. And, uh, I, I really like the versatility like we're talking about here because he, he can block and kiss ball in the backfield. Uh, he's good on the screen game. He makes big plays. He's been the workhorse, you know, and so I think he'll, he'll be a great compliment to, to Kenny. So I, I, I got Kenny. Yeah, so we will learn a little more today. An off day yesterday, the mock game today. Tomorrow. The mock game's tomorrow? Yes, they still oh, practice the today. Okay, yeah. so I got a little practice today, then a mock game tomorrow. We'll learn a little more. I'm going to guess if they've given Ken this much time off already, they're going to use yesterday, today, tomorrow to give him the rest of the week, right? Light practice, uh, no practice Saturday. So when we see Ken Walker with a little groin, will probably be Sunday, Monday, and they're going to say, hey, man, he banked so many reps this whole offseason. We'll hit the ground running, get him ready for preseason game one. Charbonnet, that's going to be worth more than a watch, both from a concern and an intrigue standpoint. Yeah, but I think we all agree, right, that a healthy Zach Charbonnet has the potential to help take this run game oh, to the next level. You're on fleek there now. Oh, my God. I mean, you are on fleek right there. <laughs> You've derailed this entire show now. Why? Because I'm showing off my hipsterness? Yeah. It's a little much, <laughs> yes. you know? No one hip tries that hard. <laughs> You know what? That's probably true. Maybe just one Doing a segment. Doing too much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah look, maybe. Look, listen to how Trey Brown just, you know, it was uh-huh. natural. It was smooth. He okay, worked you know it who into else was his natural? everyday conversation. I'll tell you who else was really natural. The other day, we got a chance to talk to Quandre. Mm-hmm. And that was the first day they put pads on. And he had the same joy that all these guys have had that we've talked to this entire week. And when I asked when I asked Quandre, like, okay, who was it? Who's a guy that, you know, when the pads come on, something else happens that you know, like, okay, this this young buck is ready to roll. And for him, it was Ken last year. Mm-hmm. He was like, yeah, those pants came on. And a lot of us were like, uh-oh, this dude's going to be a monster. He's going to be a thousand-yard back. That's what he was. The, the bummer for the Terminator, and that was Charbonnet's nickname at UCLA, is it would have been the same thing. If he could have been out there as he was the entire OTA season, and he could have been out there on Monday when the pads came on, you would hear Bobby and Quandre and those guys go, oh, boy, that's 225. And, and he brings it. And he bullies you, and he is one physical sucker. Is that, I mean, is a two-running back system essentially what you have to go to now in the NFL? Yes. Yeah. It feels like to have two at least, and now with the Seahawks, who still want to establish the run, they have mm-hmm. a wealth of passing weapons for Geno Smith, but at their core, to establish the run, for it to be a strength of this team, yeah, I think you need some significant heft behind Ken Walker to make sure that he can stay healthy throughout the season. So Charbonnet could provide that. Do you, do you get concerned yet, though? Because, yeah, we haven't seen him, but you also have a few more weeks until you really have to ramp up and get ready for no, a I'm, season. No, I'm, right now it's total intrigue. Concern is the right word, but I am very intrigued. The next time Pete speaks, one mm-hmm. of the first questions is going to be what's up with these two. And he's going to give an answer. And I don't know. Is there a possibility that he went and got scoped? Is there a possibility they went in and did a little digging? And you know what? We're going to get this thing right. So like Jamal Adams, you know, we don't need him September 1st. Kenny McIntosh, DJ Dallas behind Ken Walker. Is, is that a legitimate possibility? Yeah, that's on the table. Or is it a hey, specialist? He's good. He's going to play through it. It's going to be something we can monitor, and, and he's going to be good to go. So we will know a whole lot more the next time Pete is asked about it. But he is very intriguing because his skill set with Ken Walker, with Kenny McIntosh, with, with DJ Dallas, and we've learned this. It's not two, Mike. It's not even a, a, a duo. In a post-Marshawn Lynch world, we have learned 
it takes more than two to get through a 17-game regular season stylistically the way this team plays. Yeah, I can't help but think of Rashad Penny last year because we were talking about yep. Ken Walker like we're talking about Charbonnet now. Like, yep. all right, this guy's going to be great. Good change of pace. He's going to be a menace coming off the bench. He'll spell Penny for a little bit, but yep. Penny's your workhorse. Finished the 2021 season on, on a strong note, then all of a sudden, yep. Walker's the guy. I mean, once again, you're perf, man. You are perf. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hundo P. We're getting some, some good text Hundo on this. <laughs> Uh, someone said I mean, Brock is even. showing out today. Bet. I'm him. <laughs> I can't even. Nine says Brock is straight slay. And then the three three says, "Why, Why does Brock it? get so cringe when Salk is gone?" Uh, mm. Two oh six. If oh you God. have to tell people you're him, which you've been doing constantly, you're really not him. Mm. I, I agree, right? I'm doing this Some, text toy Someone right who's now. him doesn't have to say they're him. Head top of the text the top toy. Of your head. Can, Go ahead. can you confirm this, Moran Justin? If you're him, it's the other people saying that. Yeah. yeah. Other nope. people say you're him. You Absolutely don't say not. that. I do. I, I think I know I'm that. I'm totally head top in the text Because toy. I'm hip. All right. We'll yeah. let Brock practice that. Motor, uh, when you're riding motorcycles, you top of your head. It's like, hey, there's a cop ahead. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, so when you see when you did that, that's what I thought you were doing. I mean, that's also a penalty in the NFL, right? Yeah. Is that a legal substitution? Yep. Man downfield. Yeah, yeah, man downfield. Yeah. your rules. Illegal like man downfield. So. your rules. Yeah. All right. Flake. Well, Brock will uh, practice that head tap and try to reevaluate whether he's him. This hour, by the way, is driven by Wayscar Ford. We're going to come back and talk about why the Mariners' win yesterday was so impressive for one reason in particular. You're listening to the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, at first is that uh, Brock trying to fight off Stacy for the title of biggest Gen Z stand mm. in your bag right now. Mm. But the Mariners doing the same rallied from a three nothing deficit, two runs in the sixth, four in the seventh, got the series clinching six to three win over the Red Sox. Julio had a great game, extended his hit streak to a career best 11 straight, his on base streak to 27 straight, and also stole home in the bottom of the seventh. The two two Gino takes off. It's low in the dirt and Gino stops halfway. Here comes Julio home. Here's the throw. He is safe at home. Julio stole home. The Mariners add on another run in the most dramatic of ways. It's 6-3 Mariners in the bottom of the seventh. Brock turns out they had uh, kind of planned that one. A well-designed play, first and third. And uh, Eugenio Suarez talked about that double steal and how they've been talking about it for a few days. Uh, to be honest, we've been talking about that for a long time ago. I've been telling uh, our first base coach, Chris Negron, that, I, that that was I want to do that. And uh, a couple of days ago, I talked to Escape about it, and we talked in the media about that. And um, and I think that was the perfect timing, you know, with Julio and Terry, I know. Uh, we got a guy who throws sinkers, and uh, that timing was great. You know, he got a big uh, leg keep, and uh, I got that, that, that timing. That was perfect, I think. You know what that's called? That's not called just manufacturing a run. That's called pressurizing your opponent, and it's fun. And there's a lot of things. There used to be a, a books written back in the day, again, Lefko, before you were born, that said things like, all I ever learned and needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten, right, on certain different topics. And there's certain things when you watch 13U baseball, 14U baseball, that you start to see, like, wow, you can speed the game up on people. You can pressurize your opponent. Man, why can't you ever do that at the major league level? And then there are teams that do. And not all the time, and certainly not at the rate you could see it at 13U, but that reminded me of a play from Titus' season this year. And you have to have elite athleticism, and Julio has it. You have to have a savvy, smart dude like Eugenio, 
who just tells you in that clip, like, yep, you got a sinker baller. We've been talking about this for weeks. Like, how much behind the scenes goes into what we never see and we never know? And what it meant yesterday was pressurizing your opponent. What it meant yesterday was Cal Raleigh telling the Boston Red Sox, I'm him. I'm him. Five homers in two series, seven one and one in their last nine against winning teams. Great way to start the second half. Now that we can agree upon. Cal Raleigh, he's him. Here's the second thing you need to know. On the other end of that, on the uh, what lack of himness Ugh. is the uh, is the Pac-12. I, mean, I can't even. You can't. I can't even. even man. No. I can't even. Yeah, it's this giving. It's me. giving uh, breakup vibes. It is. When USC and UCLA left a couple years ago, do you remember that? Do you remember where you were on that day? Probably not. I do. Well, it was last year, right? No, when USC and UCLA. When when was the was it? How many months ago? It was more than twelve months ago. It was more than twelve months ago. It was ago. last summer when they announced they're leaving. Are you serious? It was just twelve months ago. Well, we got to look this up. Feels like it was long. We got something called a Google machine. Please look that up because when that happened, that was the first sword. That was the first like. Oh, do I need to fall on this sword? Like, oh man, this hurts. December fourteenth, twenty twenty-two. Okay, so so not even. Wait, October, July? What's happening? When did they leave this? I don't know. All I know is when that happened, the rest of this started to crumble. I didn't want to believe it then. I no, wanted June June thirtieth, twenty twenty-two. Yeah, it was last. Okay, summer. so thirteen months. Yeah, um, a little over a year. Just and when that happened, honestly, I'm kind of going back to that. Everything that's going on now goes back to that. You do have to point to that and realize once USC and UCLA decided to make that move, the rest of this was going to be very difficult. This is not to explain away George Klyevkov. This is not to make an excuse for the conference. But once that happened, it's going to be very difficult to keep the rest together. And that's what we're finding right now. In the border, the four corner schools, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, the the three that remain of those four, Colorado left, are going to make a decision. Oregon and Washington, we'll see Stanford and Cal eventually if they come aboard. They're going to have to make a decision. They're going to have to make a decision in their own best interest. And that that's really hard because do the math. Who's left? Mm. Who's left? Cal, Stanford. Oregon State, Washington State. Yeah. Unlike Arizona, Arizona State, that in their deal, they're very much partnered together, it feels like and sounds like and looks like structure-wise. Oregon State and Washington State are not. And it really, where this is going, really stinks the most for the folks in Pullman and Corvallis who in some ways deserve the most credit for what they've been able to do. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, we do have uh, NFL, football, live, action, kind of. I mean, it's two teams playing against each other. It's the preseason. It's the Hall of Fame game live from Canton, Ohio, featuring a lot of backups. But, yeah, you have the Jets and the Browns, and this is always cool because it signals the start of Hall of Fame weekend. So the 2023 class is going in this weekend. A lot of familiar names, nine guys going in, so uh, familiar names in that bunch. But, yeah, Jets and Browns tonight. And then, Brock, it's uh, the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. One week from tonight, mm-hmm. 7 o'clock. Seahawks, Vikings, preseason game number one coming up. Yeah, there won't be any Deshaun Watson or any Aaron Rodgers. There won't be a lot of starters, especially for these teams that play in this game that have a prolonged preseason. Uh, So it is going to be players 40 through 90 on that roster, but I don't want to diminish them at all. For those guys and many of those rookie guys in that grouping, it is the biggest night of their lives. And I know Mike Tirico, when he joined us earlier this week, had talked about for him and Chris, it's very, very difficult because he wants to do right by those guys. 
There may be some that play tonight that make a play that score a touchdown that will never do so in the NFL again, but they will have that moment with Tariko and Collinsworth and the nation watching tonight, and it will get a big number. I mean, it will get a bigger number than NBA playoff games get, right? I mean, it will get a bigger number than other sports will dream of the number of millions of viewers watching tonight. And for those players, it is a pretty special occasion. Yes, very cool there. So football season's here. I was great. Very cool talking to uh, Trey Brown. That was a, was a fun conversation. I think that should get you excited for Seahawks football. Hearing from Trey Brown, if you missed that, that is on the Brock and Salk podcast page after the show. So uh, a lot to get to with the Seahawks because we're going to dive into some of the big defensive questions that mm-hmm. still loom heading into the season with the run defense and if that is finally fixed or what might happen. But coming up next, uh, Jerry DePoto, Mariners president of baseball operations. Now, uh, a side note here because you'll hear Salk's voice. He's not here today, but you two taped this yesterday. So Salk and Brock, they taped this yesterday. It is Mariners president of baseball operations, Jerry DePoto. He joins them next here on the Brock and Salk show, Seattle sports and the Seattle sports app. The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Let's welcome in Jerry DePoto for our weekly conversation. Jerry, our, our first chance to talk here post-trade deadline. Obviously a fascinating day around the league and, and specifically for the Mariners. You guys ended up being quiet at the uh, at the very end. What did you make of the deadline process in general? You know, I, I thought we were able to accomplish what we set out to accomplish. We we would have liked to have done a little bit more if it were possible. But, you know, we knew going in that it was a a particularly robust seller's market. And, you know, it turned out to be a little bit on the quiet side around the league. You know, it's with a few exceptions, there weren't you know a ton of offensive players made available. And, you know, we suspected that might be the case. I, I think in a 30-team league, you had as many as 20 teams that were, you know, in in ad mode. You had maybe another five that were in straddle the line mode until you know the very end, and and there were only five or six clear sellers in the market. And for for the better part of the trade deadline period, those five or six teams really may not have had you know the, the types of players that typically put you over the edge in a, in a postseason push. So it, it created a little bit of a slower drag, and you know, it picked up quite a bit the, this week. But in general, I think a pretty quiet deadline by the standards of trade deadline. Jerry, as we look in the rearview mirror, it feels somewhat similar. You may tell me it's totally different, but it feels somewhat similar to me from the outside of what the trade market was like in the offseason, especially when it came to hitters. In a market, in a market, you know, bears what the market is willing to bear. In, is the market now from a trade standpoint just so much heavier in the arms than it is teams really willing to deal a difference making young bat? You know, I don't know the answer to that question. It, it varies from team to team. It varies by what you're willing to part with to, you know, to, to get something. And, and I think in this particular case, it was affected a great deal by the fact that there are so many teams that are still within shouting distance of that, you know, that, that postseason line, so to speak. So, and that is in both leagues. You know, there are a number of teams that have a real shot at, at, you know, chasing that wild card and, and teams want to compete. They want to win. And I think as a result, not a lot of bats were, were changing addresses. And it may have been the case in the off season. I didn't sense it was quite as, as difficult in the off season as it is now, but 
uh, you know, a lot of guys changed addresses over these last few days. So it wasn't, it wasn't a zero. What, uh, how did you decide to deal Paul Sewell? Uh, you know, we went into the deadline with the idea that we were going to see if we could maximize, you know, the, the bring back and any kind of Paul Sewell deal. And we knew the holes that we wanted to fill moving forward. So, you know, whether that be smaller deals or targeted deals with other teams to find short-term help, uh, you know, we wanted a, a second baseman, preferably left-handed hitter. We wanted, you know, to add in the outfield. And we were able to find a marriage with Arizona. We had, I think, to, to be fair, three teams that we considered to be finalists. And we felt like dealing from a strength, which has been our bullpen for multiple years, and and maximizing a return with controllable players we could move forward with uh, was an important step for us as an organization. And, and we found a trio of players that we thought fit our roster very well. We didn't trade for faraway prospects. We traded for guys that step on the field and we feel make us better today and into 24 and beyond. Just out of curiosity, without you know giving away the teams or the players that were also in the mix there, were the packages similar or were they styled differently in terms of number of players or proximity to the big leagues, et cetera? Uh, all those things, you know, each team you deal with, because they are also, you know, the Diamondbacks are also contending right now. So you're trying to thread a needle there. And as a matter of fact, every team that we talked to who had interest in Paul Seawald was a contending club. So you're you're in a, a unique situation where the best value that you're going to get for Paul Seawald at a trade deadline is coming from a contending club while you also see yourself as a contending club. And you know, I, we we love the the package that we were able to get. We thought it was the most impactful that we could that we could you know bring in with Dom Canzone and and Josh Rojas and Ryan Bliss. It gives us an outfielder to grow with. He's 25 years old, big tools. We think he can really hit. You know, Josh Rojas is a year removed from a very good season in Arizona. Two solid seasons in his first two, and you know this year battled through an injury and hasn't played to his level, but we think this is a great bounce back candidate with defensive skills who can really run the bases and, and gives us a patient on base, you know, presence in our lineup. And Ryan Bliss is a fun player for tomorrow. You know, he's a 23 year old infielder who has destroyed the upper levels of the minors this year can hit, can get on base, has a little power and he can really run and, and gives us another element and I don't know if that happens in September or sometime in 2024, but not too far away. What was that final conversation like with Paul? Uh, Paul was great, you know, and and this was this was not a surprise to Paul or to anyone in our clubhouse. I, I think it was it was understood that this was, you know, these are the times when, as a player, you know what, what's happening in the market. And Paul was very much in demand. We had as many as 15 teams reach out on him. And it was a, a long deadline period to to get to the point where we thought these were the best deals we could do. We were patient in allowing it to form. And then sitting down with Paul, you know, first thing that I said to Paul, Scott shared his thoughts and, uh, and I shared mine, which is, you know, we can't be thankful enough for, for what he did here. And he was awesome for us for three years. And I said to him, I don't know who's going to pitch the ninth inning for us tonight, but we'll figure it out. We've got good group down there. And, and, and I really do feel like this is, 
this is an opportunity for us to get better. And, and he said, that is, he said, that's your job. Your job is to make the Mariners better. My job is to pitch. And, you know, he said, I've loved it here. I'll go pitch for the, the Diamondbacks and there'll always be a part of me that, that's a Mariner. And <laughs> he's a pro. He's a great guy. And it's a, and I wish him nothing but the best. As savvy and smart as he is, and we've gotten a chance to talk to him, and he truly is one of our favorites. Just curious, does he ever throw back to you guys and say, hey, if there were 15 teams that called on me, what were some of the other? <laughs> and not that you need to share some of the others with us, but did you share it with him, or does he even ask? Yeah. No, frankly, no. <laughs> and, and if you ask me, I won't tell you either, because there's humans on the other end. Yeah. How repeatable is the Paul Seawald story? And I guess what I mean is finding a guy that has that kind of stuff that wasn't being utilized necessarily the best way and helping him unlock all of that potential. You know, to, to have it result in the kind of success that Paul experienced and, and, and contributed for us is that's got to be, you know, the, 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 the tip of the, the mountain or the top of the mountain. He's, his performance was phenomenal. It, it, he took to it very quickly and partly because you, as you said, very smart, you know, Paul came in as a willing participant, wanted to see what we could do to help him. And, and it worked out very well. He's committed to it. Uh, you know, that being said, he turned into one of the best relievers in the league for, for three year period. So to say that that's easily repeatable would be, you know, a little pompous. <laughs> and I think we're good at this. I do believe that we've, you know, experienced real gains with other guys and they're sitting in our bullpen right now, whether they be converted starters in the minor leagues, it's guys we picked up in smaller trades. It's, it's helping players take the next step in their career and and uh you know i'm i'm confident that our group can continue to do that will it result in another policy you all story i don't know you know i i sure hope so but i can't say that that's a certainty because of how good paul was i listened to justin after the deadline on with uh with our afternoon show with wyman and bob and i heard him say that it might be time to kind of look at the process that led to some of the acquisitions over the years I just wanted to follow up on it because I didn't know exactly what that meant or some of the conversations you guys have maybe had in the background about how to how to help that help help fine tune that process. We're doing the best we can to put a team on the field every year that that has a chance to compete and to go win. We're trying to manage present major league talent with future major league talent that's coming through our systems. We're trying to build bridges. We're trying to create, we're trying to create lineups that work versus rights and versus lefts. We're trying to do all of that. And, and every year we revisit our process or processes, no matter, you know, we go through and we sit down in August every year, our front office takes a trip with the major league club, we kind of sequester ourselves in a big boardroom at a hotel and we talk through our process and what does that look like? So Justin's not, Justin's not informing you that we're going to go in and recreate our machine. We do this annually. We, we recheck our systems and our programs, our decision-making and our process. We determine what went right, what went wrong. And then we try to do something a little bit different to solve the wrongs and, and then double down on the rights. Help me. Uh, I want to. I want to learn a little bit more about the players you did acquire, and starting with Canzone, who we've had a chance to see a little bit of. I just see the body and immediately and the swing. It just reminded me uh, so much of Hunter Pence and, and just that style. What, what kind of a player are you hoping he is? 
You know, I hope it turns out to be Hunter Pence because that would be a grand slam for us. <laughs> Hunter was an awesome player. But, uh, you know, Dom is, as a left-handed hitter, he's got a little bit of a, of a whippy swing. He's got a slender athletic build. He can run a little bit. He can throw a lot. He has. A, he's a good defensive outfielder who also plays first base, and he has hit wherever he's gone. He barrels the ball. He uses the gaps. He's got over-the-fence power. And, and he's pretty accurate with his swing. You know, he's a very aggressive hitter, but he barrels it a lot. And, you know, it's, a, it's not the stand-in-the-box, patient, work-counts-grind-it type of, of bopper in the corner. This is a feel-to-hit, whip-the-bat, we feel like has a chance to, to really grow. And we feel like he has a swing that suits our ballpark, you know. Is he's got that pull side whip and you know that the low line drives. He's also, as you as you've seen in, in his first couple of days here as a Mariner, he's got some lift to the opposite field to the gap, and it's it's sneaky strong when it comes off the bat. And you know we're we're really excited about what his upside potential is. We thought you know one of the more interesting targets uh, during the the trade deadline in general, and a great fit for us. How about uh, how about the young second baseman? Uh, the kid out of, I believe he's War Eagle, certainly not Roll Tide. Uh, he's the one that we're not talking about maybe the most because we've seen now Rojas and Canzone. How about Bliss? Uh, Ryan is a former second-round draft pick, like you said, out of Auburn. I think he's he is a guy who, like so many of our targets, went through a bit of a swing chain recently change recently and you know he he came into pro ball as a pretty celebrated player you know had a very good career at auburn particularly his launch year or or draft year um and did it in the sec against very high competition he's not a big physical guy you know ryan's five six five seven but he's athletic and strong he has sneaky power for a guy his size has always been able to hit and move the ball around the field changed his swing a little, added some lift, added some exit velo. And, you know, he's hitting the ball as hard or harder than he's ever hit it. And he's also a runner. You know, he's a, he's a multi-position defender, plays shortstop, second base. We think he's going to wind up at second base. And on a 80 scale, 20 to 80 scale, we think he's about a 60, 65 runner. Mm-hmm. So it's a different type of, of player than we've had at second base in, in recent years as a, you know, it's a, speed defense move it around hit tool type of player that that we're really excited to add to this you're game. not gonna let him pitch are you i saw that his his uh his bio still says relief pitcher on it yeah we're gonna pass on the pitch okay, and just good. let him focus on hitting and, and playing second base in the i wasn't shortstop. sure if we had sort of a second base Shohei otani on our hands i wasn't sure what this is going to look like hey you, you entered this deadline without jared kelnick uh for for some time did that affect the players you chose or the way you approached this deadline? Uh, not at all. You know, we, we were going for the best talent we could bring back in return, knowing that we wanted to create a bridge headed into our offseason. You know, and that bridge included backfilling second base, adding to our outfield depth, increasing the depth in our lineup. And, and as I said, we wanted to be good in 20. We think we have a good team. And, you know, we, we thought we had a good team on opening day. We didn't play well in the first half. We are playing well now. And, you know, we want to be respectful of what our team is telling us. So we weren't inclined to, to go make wholesale changes. We didn't want to, to pawn off every, you know, pending free agent, move them down the road to, to add as much future talent as we could. 
we wanted to be precise in the future talent that we were targeting and, and go out and, and find players that we thought suited us. And, you know, and Dom and Ryan and Josh suit us. And, you know, and Trent Thornton, it was quiet and a little earlier in the week, but he suits us. These are, they're players that, that do the things that we value, and, and we feel like they just make us a better team. We're going to see Dom play some first base. Yeah, I think you will. I, I don't know that you're going to see it, you know, today or tomorrow, but it's a it's part of the package with Dom. He does it, you know. We think he does it pretty well. It gives us a chance to give Ty a little bit of a blow from time to time, which has never really been in the cards, especially against tougher right hand pitching. And you know, when when Ty's going good, he can play and hit against anybody. And and sometimes, you know, even the best of us need a day off. And he hasn't had a ton of those opportunities because. It wasn't an area of depth for us. And, and it just got a little bit deeper. Last thing for me, and thank you as always for all of this time, Jerry, suits us. I kind of like the way you frame that. It suits us. It feels to me through your drafts, uh, through these acquisitions, what's suiting you guys is a lot of athleticism. Am I overreading that? Because I see a lot of speed, a lot of dynamic athleticism, maybe with some rule changes in baseball. And since he showed us this this year and Arizona's shown us this year, that, that athleticism may play a little bit more. Yeah, so we've and this dates back to, to when I arrived in 2015. We have, you know, slowly but surely been getting more and more athletic, and and our scouting group, Scott Hunter, Frankie Thon, Brendan Damaraki, do a phenomenal job of of finding players that do the things that that we love. It's you know finding guys like Dom, like Josh, like Dylan Moore, like you know Jose Caballero, uh, and I could go on. Julio Rodriguez. Jared Kelnick, we feel like the the next version of the Mariners, and maybe what's you know starting to evolve as this version of the Mariners, is a fun team that can move on the bases, that can take the two bags, that can score from first on an extra base hit, and uh, it's, it's the game that we want to play. And and sometimes you have to work through and build the bridges on your roster, you know, to to make that possible. And and athletes they work, and and we're getting more athletic. It's not deadline specific at all, but I just got to ask about him based on the last week or so. And that's JP Crawford. Where is his toughness at? I mean, I just I see him foul two balls off his knee over the course of two games and later that same game make an unbelievable diving catch. Where would you be without JP Crawford right now? Uh, I I don't know, but we can go back to revisiting some offseason conversations and to as to the, the sanity of our committing to JP. We love JP. And his toughness, his leadership, the fact that he shows up every day, it, it matters. And, and he's having his best season. He is, uh, I can't imagine having been rewarded more than he has for the hard work he did this offseason. You know, he, he really committed to doing some different things in his offseason prep. And it's showing up. I mean, a 780, I think, OPS in, in that general range with more power than he's ever shown. He's, he's hitting the ball, spraying it around the field, and showing his typical excellent strike zone judgment. And, and doing it at the top of the lineup pretty consistently. And you know, he's been an on-base presence, and, and he, he's always there for you. you know, it's, uh, he, he may not consistently win gold gloves, but he has the, the ability to win a gold glove. And when the final play, as, as evidenced the other night against the Red Sox, when the final play, you want them to hit the ball to J.P. Crawford because he's the guy that has the, the belly to get it done. 
It was a heck of a play, and to do it just a few minutes after he had uh, taken that ball off his knee, I just thought was incredibly impressive. Jerry, appreciate you uh, you coming on and, and talking through all this stuff with us. We will do it again next week. You got it, guys. And Mariners baseball, uh, president of baseball operations, Jerry Depoto, and again, uh, you guys taped that yesterday, so before yeah. Salk uh, headed out, uh, you two taped that interview. Salk, not here today, but uh, you guys got the interview out of the way, so that's what why out? you heard Salk's voice. I was going to ask you the same question. No, I know. No, I had you're no, we, that I, around on me. Yeah, I mean, we did the interview. I did the interview. I know what jumped out to me. What jumped out to you? I think, yeah, everyone wanted to hear the explanation for the Paul Seawald trade, the the return and what, what you got back. And it, it did feel like that the Mariners upgraded offensively, maybe not to the extent that people wanted, but this was an upgrade and also, I think, a necessity, right? Because Colton Wong and A.J. Pollock did not work out. And the DFAing of Colton Wong closed the door on mm-hmm. that offseason. So, all right, well, these two, kind of the names as part of that Teo Wong Pollock acquisition in the offseason, these two did not work out. Mm-hmm. They're done. Here are their replacements. So to me, that jumped out is that they were upgrading offensively. They desperately needed offensive upgrades to lengthen that lineup and to fill out some of uh, the dead spots in, in the order. But it mm-hmm. also feels like this is what they were looking for in hoping that Wong and Pollock would provide stable pop with the rest of the lineup producing. So now you you have the younger versions of them. And maybe if it takes them a little while to get going, you have some controllable options where, hey, if they struggle for this season, maybe they're more not reticent, but uh, willing to to adapt and kind of go along with the Mariners system. I'm I'm not going to kind of get it too much in on A.J. Pollock or Colton Wong, but 35, 32 years old when you come in here, I don't know how adaptable those guys were going to be. If something mm-hmm. didn't vibe with uh, the Mariners' mm-hmm. approach, with that dynamic that they wanted them to do, it's a little bit easier to say, hey, Canzone, you've just been called up. Hey, Rojas, you know, you've been up here for a little bit, but you oh. are more fringe players. They're you're more clay, willing to you listen. Can mold. They're moldable, they're, yes. They're exactly. clay you can mold versus 10-year vets who are already a finished product and have done it in the league. I'll tell you what comes to mind is Jerry said right there that 15 teams were involved. That's half the league. That's more than half, right? You take yourself out of it. That is 15 of the 29. And really, you could probably take nine out because they're not in it. The White Sox and Royals and A's and teams that are totally out of it. So you're talking about 15 of the of 20 teams called 75%. What that tells me is a little bit like Devin Weatherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigba. You got exactly what you wanted. That unlike the market that didn't turn in your way for an offensive bat, right? That's just not the way this market presented itself to anybody. In this case, you had one of the more valuable commodities if 75% of the contenders, and I think that's maybe even conservative, said, no, 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 we want this guy. So here's our package. That gave you the chance to take the corner you wanted, the receiver you wanted, no questions asked. That gave you the chance to get exactly what you wanted. And I think what you wanted is a little what you hit on right there. What we want is to still give 23 a chance with without burying 23, this 23 team. We want to give JP and Eugenio and Julio and Ty and the and Cal and this pitching staff, we still want to give them a chance. Still want to give them a chance to, to make a run and not create further holes and not further diminish this roster where it would be very difficult to gain back the three and a half that you're chasing on two or three teams ahead of you. Fair? Yeah, because... There weren't bats out there. You guys talked about this. I know you and Salk talked about this after the Seawald news happened that 
it hurts on the surface and it really hurts to lose a guy like Paul Seawald for what he meant to the clubhouse or what he meant as a, as a representative to the media. I mean, it's a great interview. It's one of the best yeah. interviews in the team. So you become attached to guys like that. He was such a great closer, but there were no bats out there. We saw the moves. There was Mark Canna and Tommy Pham mm-hmm. and that was it. So these guys, you get a you get a version of them for this season. You also get them to keep building this core beyond. But they are impactful bats. Hopefully this year, these well, they're are not young the prospects. Yeah, they're, they're athletic in the already. So, yeah, yeah, unlike unlike Wong and Pollock, right? Who are finished products? Who do have a baseball card? Who do have a resume? And there is something to be said, a lot to be said for that. These are much younger guys that can really run. You know, these are guys that can play some defense for you. You are still a team that pitches and plays defense. Now, are, are you this team over the last 30 games that you've been through a great stretch in July, through a series win against Boston that can put five or six, that can get you a crooked number? Because if, the, if you're that team, and as I said to start this show, and we can come back to that next, if you're that team for the next 10 days in these three series, and you win three series, or you win, heck, even two of these next three series, you're going to be within a game and a half of the wild card. And then, whoo, and then good things come your way. The Royals, the White Sox, the A's, the Royals, the White Sox. I mean, if you're this team, and if Canzone and Rojas with their speed and athleticism and the guys on the front end of it who are doing what they've been doing in Cal and Julio, if you're this team that scores 4.8 runs a game, you're going to be right in in September like you were a season ago. Yeah, great points. We're going to get right back into that because those key bats, Julio, Suarez, Cal, like you mentioned, I mean, that's what everyone was banking on. And that's why you bring in those additions like Wong and Pollock to say, well, the bulk of our offense, the bulk of our production this year, we yep. think it's coming from a core that that didn't happen. And then those acquisitions didn't work out. So now the core starting to produce. These guys come in. And it feels like you have all that balance. So we'll get into that and see if that's really going to happen and what the Mariners can build on because they did do something that doesn't happen often this season against the Red Sox. In fact, rarely happens against the Red Sox and the Mariners accomplished that. That's up next. Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.